Good morning. Greetings in Jesus' name. It's good to uh, be here to worship with you all on Christmas morning. I'm glad for the presence of each one. I did some really quick math in my head, and if Franklin said that we had about 35 here this morning, almost that many people from of our regular number are either traveling or sick this morning. So for the message this morning, we're here on Christmas Day, the day that we celebrate the birth of Christ. Uh, we don't have any firm proof that this was the actual day Christ was born. In fact, probably there's more evidence that would point to, to it being a different time of year. But it's the day that has been set aside for us to commemorate and celebrate his birth. And I want us to think a little about the, the purpose of his coming. So we have this whole Christmas season, and probably you've heard people ask in the last week something like, are you ready for Christmas? And, you know, what does that mean? I heard somebody recently talking about being asked that question, and, and he said, you know, what, what does that mean? And I think to many people it means, do you have your shopping done? Do you have your gifts wrapped? Do you have your, the special things that you make, you, you're baking at Christmas time, do you have that done? Are your travel plans in place? That type of thing. And those things aren't necessarily wrong, but I often sense a focus in the celebration of Christmas that is focused upon those types of things. And that celebration then of Jesus' birth becomes about the ones who are doing the celebrating instead of the one whom we are here to celebrate. And so I would like this morning for us to think a little about the one being celebrated and why he came to this sin-cursed earth and not only the reason why he came, but also what it cost him, and then what that means for us today. Turn with me to John chapter 3. I'd like to look at just a few short passages this morning. Go read some very familiar verses here from John 3. John 3, and we'll begin at verse 16. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. For God sent not his Son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. He that believeth on him is not condemned, but he that believeth not is condemned already, because he hath not believed in the name of the only begotten Son of God. So these verses, especially John 3.16, so many people know, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. And I believe that that verse encapsulates the reason that Jesus came. He, be, he came because of God's love for us. So as I thought about that, I had to wonder, 
So if God loved us so much that he was willing to send his son to earth, and much more than that, to suffer and die for us, if God loved us that much, what motivated that love? Why does God love us as people that much? And I believe that it is because man is God's crowning creation. We're told in the creation account that God created man in His image. We are created like God. We have a lot of the same attributes that God has. We were created for fellowship. God wanted us to fellowship and worship Him. But yet we see further on that there was a time when sin entered into our experience and that ability to be close to God and to fellowship with Him was broken. So sin brought a separation. God, God created man for, for that purpose of worship and fellowship and, and sin came and broke that relationship and caused a separation. And that's, that sinfulness in man caused man to turn to himself instead of ter- turning towards God. Essentially, without God, we all, our, our natural tendency is to worship ourselves. To exalt self, to turn away from God. And I believe that's the the driving force for God's love because He desires deeply that us, His crowning creation, would would fulfill what we have been created for. And that is to to fellowship with Him, to worship Him, and to bring Him honor and glory. And when we serve self, and we allow sin in our lives, we are not fellowshipping with God, and we are not bringing Him honor and glory. So we see in these verses that Jesus came, that whosoever believes in Him might not perish. And that's speaking not of physical dying, but of eternal death, eternal separation from God. So God loved us so much that He wanted us to be healed, that that spiritual relationship between us and Him to be healed, to to be made right. We also see that Jesus' purpose in coming wasn't to condemn the world. It says in verse 17, For God sent not His Son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through Him might be saved. Jesus didn't come to condemn because we were already condemned. Without Christ, we're already under condemnation. Verse 18 says, He that believeth on Him is not condemned, but he that believeth not is condemned already. So see, in a state of unbelief, we are stand before God as condemned sinners, separated from Him. That relationship is broken. 
The condemnation doesn't come through Jesus Christ, but rather it comes to us through the sinful nature that we all have inherited. So I want to think about that condemnation a little. What is that condemnation that we're under? What are we condemned to? When somebody is condemned, they are, you know, you, you talk about somebody that is on trial and the, a sentence is, is handed down and they are condemned to life in prison, for instance. So what have we been condemned to? That's a, a big question. Because it has implications for this life, but it also has implications for eternity. And for this life, I believe that it basically can be summed up by saying that it is a condemnation to be a slave to self and to sin. Apart from God, we are slaves to self. And carried to, carried to its utmost ends, being a slave to self is a very ugly thing. Because in essence, that's being a slave to the devil. We're doing what he would desire for us to do and not what God would desire for us to do. But that con condemnation goes on into eternity or we're condemned to eternal separation from God. Eternal punishment. But God in His goodness and His love and His desire for fellowship with His supreme creation has provided a way for us to be restored. So why are we in that position of condemnation. We understand that Adam and Eve sinned and they brought sin into the world. But I want to think on that on a little different level. God in His goodness to us, and His love and His desire for fellowship, He created us in a different way than He created anything else in the world. He created us as intelligent beings and He created us as eternal beings. There are two qualities that He gave no other, none, nothing else in His creation. Our intelligence or our, it's our ability to think and to reason gives us the ability to worship in fellowship with God as, as He desired. If we didn't have the ability to think and to reason, we would, we would not have the capability of fellowshipping and worshiping God to the extent that He desires. I believe that all of creation praises the Lord as it functions as He created it to. But we have the ability to choose to worship. We have the ability to, to 
bring forth praise to God in a way that none of his creation, the rest of his creation does. But that intelligence, that ability to think and reason, is also what allows us to choose our own way. It's what allows us to give in to the temptations of Satan. So what allows us to worship him also allows us to turn away from him. He also, as I said, created us as eternal beings. We're not just like an animal that's born, lives a few years, dies, returns to the earth. But rather, when we're conceived, we become a living being that will live throughout eternity. And the reason for that, I believe, is because God desires all of us to be in His presence, worshiping Him for eternity. Not just today, but for all of eternity. But did you know that that eternal nature that we have is one of our biggest problems that God has given us? It's one of the greatest gifts that God has given to us. But unless we... Unless we have the sin problem in our life taken care of, that greatest gift of eternal life becomes one of a great curse. Because without our sin problem atoned for by the sacrifice of God's Son, that eternal blessing becomes an eternal curse of separation from God. So again... Jesus didn't come to bring condemnation. We were already under that condemnation. He provided a way of escape from that condemnation. Because of God's love, God provided the gift of His Son. And it's up to us individually to change our status from being condemned to being not condemned. And that happens through belief. And that's not an accepting belief. That's not a a verbal profession of belief. But it's a belief that brings about a changed life. It's a belief that brings about a different focus in our life. A change from being a slave to self to being a slave to the Lord Jesus Christ. That's what Jesus came. to do for us. Now, what did that cost Jesus? I'd like to invite you to turn then to Philippians. Philippians chapter 2. Again, very familiar verses. I'd like to read Philippians 2, 5 through 8. Think about this in the context of, of Christ's coming, Christ's birth. Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus, who being in the form of God, thought it not robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation, and took upon him the form of a servant, and was made in the likeness of men. And being found in fashion as a man, he humbled himself, and became obedient unto death, even the death of the cross. So the context of this of this passage is Paul giving some instructions to the Philippians to help them be unified and to avoid 
some discord and selfish ambitions in the church. And as an example to them, he lifts up the example of the Lord Jesus Christ and his coming to earth. And I just want to look here at what we can learn from these verses. We see that here that Jesus in his pre-incarnate state, when he was in heaven with the Father, it says that he was in the form of God. And I believe that that refers to him as having the attributes of God and the glory of God. We're also told elsewhere in Scripture, I believe it's in Romans, I forget the exact passage, that, that Christ was involved in the creation. So that speaks of the power that he had in his pre-incarnate state. Now I want to think about a little about Jesus having the attributes and the glory of God. In the Old Testament account of Moses, we're told that no one can see the face of God and live. And Moses had asked God to allow him to see himself to see God. He, Moses wanted to see God. And God said, you cannot see my face and live. But I'm going to put you in this cleft of the rock and I'm going to cover you with my hand. And as I pass by, then I will pull my hand away and you will see my back side. And what happened when God did that? When Moses came back down off of the mount, after that had happened, him viewing the glory of God from the backside was so, it, it was such a glorious sight that it says that Moses' face was radiant with the glory of God. We can't, we can't understand that. We've, we've never seen somebody that had a, a face that was literally glowing, but it says that Moses' face was radiant with, with God's glory. Paul states here in, in Philippians that there is an equality between God and His Son. And I believe that there was, there was an equality in glory that we probably cannot comprehend because we can't comprehend God's glory in its, full, in its fullness. So there was Christ in heaven with all this glory of God and the, the holiness of God, the splendors of heaven, being the creator, involved in the creation of, of this earth and of mankind, choosing to leave that state of glory and power behind to come and be born in a lowly manger. So his coming meant that he left all that behind. Verse 7 says that he made himself of no reputation. And I found it interesting how different translations translate that phrase. And I just want to read a couple. So the King James says he made himself of no reputation. And here's, uh, I believe I have three others. 
but he made himself nothing. So from what he was, he became nothing. Another, but emptied himself. See, he emptied himself of that glory. And another, he stripped himself of his glory. And what stood out to me is that that phrase himself. Jesus chose to give up that power and the glory he had with with God the Father to come to the earth. Notice that it says there in verse in verse 6 it says that he was in the form of God. But drop down to verse 7 it says that he took upon him the form of a servant. Two extremes, the form of God and the form of a servant. So we can grasp maybe what it is like to be a lowly earthly servant. We don't have the mental capacity, I don't believe, to grasp fully what the glory and splendor that Christ had was like and what he gave up. But then in verse 8, it goes on to say further that he didn't just give up all of that to be a servant. But he went further. It says he humbled himself to the point of death. And not just any death, but the death on the cross. A death that was cruel and barbaric, humiliating, excruciatingly painful. In fact, did you know that crucifixion was considered so degrading and so painful that the Romans would not even execute one of their own citizens that way. So he gave up all of the glory he had to come and die the lowliest, most awful death. So he came in the form of man who is under the curse of sin. He lived a lowly life. I was thinking about it a little bit. I suspect that the life that Jesus lived while he was here on earth, that, that if he could trade places, if he could have in, when in, his, in his life on earth traded places with how we live today, he would have thought that most of us, probably all of us, are living in luxury today. Jesus came and lived a lowly life. He experienced the temptations and the struggles that we face. And he experienced physical death that we face. All of those things are foreign and incompatible with the nature of God. Yet he was willing to come so that he could and experience those things so that we could have the opportunity to learn from him and to believe in him and to be freed from that condemnation that we were under. So we rejoice when we think about Jesus coming to earth and what He gave up. But it only happened because He was willing to obey the Father's will. Because He was willing to submit and surrender and to stoop down and to to serve and to suffer. Now I want you to look back at verse 5. There's a phrase there that we must not forget today. 
Verse 5 says this, Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. See, there's a calling in, in, in this story of Christ coming to earth. There's a calling for us. Jesus didn't just come so that we could be forgiven of our sins and then just, just go on to live after our own desires. He says, let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. So in essence, Paul was saying here, look at Christ's example. Look what he has done for you. Now go and do likewise. If we truly believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, we must arm ourselves with the same attitude, an attitude of sacrifice, of service, an attitude of willingness to give up, a willingness to sacrifice my time, my money, my pleasures, my comfort, and my image for the good of others. But not just for the good of others, for the honor and glory of Him that came so that we could have life. And not just for the not just to serve others in a physical way, but to serve them in a spiritual way. Think about Jesus' life as He served here on this earth. Jesus, we're, we're really enamored as we read the accounts of Jesus of all the, the miraculous things He did to heal those that were suffering and to feed those that were hungry, to comfort those that were sorrowing. But did you ever think about that was only a, 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 a we could say, a sideshow to his real mission? His real mission was a spiritual mission. Are we serving others spiritually? Jesus' primary purpose in making himself of no reputation was to minister to our deepest need, our spiritual need, that we could be freed from that bondage to self and Satan. Are we, are we like Him, willing to sacrifice to serve for the spiritual good of others? So how do we do that? We need to get our focus off the things of this world and onto spiritual things, the things of the Lord. The Apostle John said in 1 John 2.15, Love not the world, neither the things that are in the world. If any man love the world, the love of the Father is not in him. See, we need to be like Christ. We need to be emptied of self. We need a belief in Him that motivates us to action. A belief in Him that moves us to, tr to strive to be like Him. We need to be to not be inspired by the baby in the manger, but by the Lord of heaven and earth. The one who was in the form of God, but who is willing to lay aside that glory and majesty and come and dwell among us to serve and to suffer so we could be freed from the condemnation that we're under. Y'all have probably heard the phrase before around Christmas that we should not leave Jesus in the manger. And that's correct. 
This morning, I want us to recognize that the manger was just a step towards something else. It was a step towards his ministry, his teaching. It was a step towards his sacrifice. It was a step towards his resurrection and a step towards his ascension back to glory where he rightfully belongs. So let's not leave him in the manger today. But also, let's not forget why he was in the manger. Let's not forget the love that he had and that the Father had for us. Let's not forget his willingness to empty himself so that he could come to bring us life. And let's not forget what that calls us to. Let's not forget that it calls us to be like Christ and to go forth and to empty ourselves of self and to serve others. Yes, to serve physically, but primarily we are called to serve in a spiritual way. To bring the light of salvation, the, the, the breaking of that condemnation, we are called to bring that to others. May God give us the strength to be ambassadors for Him. Let's have a song.